So we have quite a treat today. We have Kayla from Bilinguitos. And Kayla is a linguist who specializes in childhood and family bilingualism. In 2016, she started the program Bilinguitos as a, as a resource for bilingual families in her area with classes, play dates, field trips, and more. Another venture was the Bilingual Parenting Podcast, which launched in 2019. As of 2020, Bilinguitos programs are both in-person and virtual and focus on Spanish immersion and enrichment for young learners. Uh, Bilinguitos' mission statement is cultivating and celebrating bilingualism. At home, Kayla and her husband communicate predominantly in Spanish and are raising their own bilinguita, <laughs> bilingually and biculturally in the Washington, D.C. area. Raising bilingual children can be a challenge. That's why we have serial dates, where we discuss our experiences and grow as a bilingual family. Let's get cereal, cereal. I wanna get cereal. Let's get cereal. <laughs> no. So that's awesome. Um, can you tell us? Well, in our podcast, we always start with a parenting moment. So, do you have sort of something that's happened in the last week or so, or it doesn't have to be in the last week? Just something that was funny interesting entertaining there's always those uh moments in parenting isn't there <laughs> absolutely yes so i think i'm going to share a parenting fail <laughs> exciting we moments there are plenty but a parenting fail might be fun so it didn't happen super recently um but it was something that i thought of it was actually when aniela was about five months old and we went camping and pretty primitive camping like no bathrooms no um, no camping stores nearby, no convenience stores, nothing. Um, so it was great. It was fun. But being a first, very first time a mom, like new mom, and also being somebody who hates overpacking. I hate overpacking. Like if I can, I just want to take a diaper in my hand and the wipes and let's go. <laughs> so I was like trying to bring as little as possible, but I severely miscounted how many diapers we would need. Oh, no. <laughs> so, so yeah, we were having a great time. We went to sleep. The next morning, we woke up, or I woke up with the baby around 6.30 a.m., and she needed a diaper change. And it was there that I realized we only had one diaper left. Oh, and goodness. we are like on the top of a mountain in the <gasps> middle of nowhere. You're brave. <laughs> John's like <laughs> in love. He's like, oh. I love camping. So yes, it's so. And fun. I'm allergic to outside. So. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, so so then I'm like, oh, we and my husband sleeping. So then I'm just like, um, amor, <laughs> we need to go find diapers. And he's like, what? <laughs> Like, that doesn't make any sense with the context. He's like, find diapers. It's like, yeah, ya no tenemos pañales. We don't have any more diapers. So we had to kind of pack up everything that couldn't stay out, pack up the baby. Thank God we remembered the baby. And <laughs> trek down the mountain, find a grocery store, which was like 30 minutes away. Luckily, it was open because at this point, it was still pretty early. So, yeah. So basically, that was my first kind of like big fail as a first-time mom. And right. um yeah. That's my husband that's always pretty like impressive. triple checks. She was five months old. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I've been trying to convince Daniela to let me at least take Matteo in the backyard and camp with our uh, stuff. <laughs> yes, so. he's ready. He's See? already what almost three, well, two and a half. Wow. Yes. wow. Do you have a parenting, have a parenting moment? moment? 
My parenting moment? Well, I'm just going to use today. So to, we just started... <laughs> Putting Mateo in swimming lessons because uh, Jijipa have a swimming pool. Uh, Sensei and Oma have a swimming pool. So we want to make sure when he goes over there that there's just less for us to have to worry about. Even though I'm 100% content in my ability to keep him safe, it lets mom relax a little bit. Um, Especially when he goes over there without us and to hang out if he were to sneak out the back. So we're kind of going through the motions and put him in some swimming lessons. Um, as a proud, I'm going to do the whole, you know, I'm going to talk about my son and be proud of my son. <laughs> so he's two and a half and he's in these classes with these other two and a half year olds. And it's just absolutely astounding to see how much he's talking, whether it be in English or in Spanish. And he's just wanting to have conversations with everybody. And he's trying to talk to these kids whose language is very limited, let alone, I, I would almost say life experiences. And, and I truly think it has a lot to do with how we talk to our child, how involved we are with our child. Uh, the Montessori methods definitely play a big role in that. But it's just really cool that we've put so much effort and we can kind of thank quarantine for it. <laughs> yeah. But um no, he's he's talking he's talking to the the instructor and she's just like blown away and then was she talking to him in English? We didn't even get to talk about the class because he came in and like drop up dropped off uh, Mateo to the grandparents. They were like, ah, run, he's run to ready. the podcast. But he's having a blast. He's dunking himself underwater. He's not afraid of it. He's having and the teacher is just astounded by his ability to communicate. It's just really cool. So it's just more of a proud parenting moment. And if you want, we have plenty. Fails, but oh yeah, fun. like the time I dropped <laughs> Mateo off the bridge. That was pretty hilarious. What in the play? Well, it's in the playground. <laughs> Not a big bridge. It's it it just a four foot drop. He was still oh, like gosh. what one, and he John said that he like was without air for a few seconds. It's like oh, I'm glad I wasn't there. <laughs> yeah, because then I'd be dead. <laughs> so that's I mean we parenting moments are are kind of the best thing. You know you have. Those fails that later we just laugh about, but, but yeah. So, um, now since we are on cereal dates, what's your favorite cereal and why? <laughs> my gosh. Um, my all time favorite cereal it used to be Reese's puffs, Reese's peanut butter puffs. Um, but they have, they have since moved down when I was pregnant with Aniela. Um, I think, I think it was new at the time. Checks came out with their peanut butter checks cereal. I clearly like peanut butter. So that was like my number one craving too while I was pregnant. And still to this day, if I'm craving cereal, it's peanut butter checks. Yeah. What about yeah. you guys? I don't You're think I... You know, I, I think I'm definitely going to be trying that. Let's hope it's, Aldi has it. <laughs> Aldi, yeah. We are, we're like mm, our Aldi I shoppers. So. Um, I always go with cocoa rice, which Aldi calls it cocoa rice. But yeah. Yeah. It's just the uh, cocoa, cocoa pebbles. Cocoa pebbles, basically. Um, but we eat cere- we, with Mateo, we eat like Cheerios. <laughs> Like something a little bit healthier, but, um, but we have those stashed for our cereal dates. <laughs> yeah. Once they're in, the kids are in bed, you're like, Ooh, let's bring out yeah, the good let's stuff. Get all of our- cause, cause we're adults and we can eat cereal whenever we want. You That's know? what John says. He's like, we're adults. We can stay up as long as we want. We're adults. <laughs> we can, yeah. So tell us a little bit about your bilingualism journey and how you learn Spanish. Cause for those of you who don't know Kayla, she's a native English speaker, but she speaks Spanish fluently as a native speaker. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yes. So my own bilingualism journey started at 11 months old. So both of my parents are monolingual English speakers. Um, they are both born and raised in Connecticut, and that's where I was born. Um, so it's just kind of 
that was never their plan to raise a bilingual child. But um, when we moved to the D.C. area for my dad's job and my mom was working as well, she found a home daycare pretty close to her work that happened to be a um, Bolivian family that ran the daycare. And so the main woman spoke English and Spanish, but the other caretakers, I think they were her aunt and her mom, and they only spoke Spanish. That's and so awesome. my mom realized pretty like early on that I was hearing a ton of Spanish every single day, five days a week. Um, she even says that I started like coming home saying words she didn't know. And she, <laughs> she does love the language, so she was excited about it. Like She mm-hmm. wanted that opportunity for me. Um, but still, she was like, whoa, this is happening. This is crazy. So it started that early, 11 months old. Um, and then from then on, my like after I was done with daycare, the daycare years, she still, my mom still made sure to find lots of input for me. She had me in classes, my sister as well. My sister's younger. Um, so it just kind of Did you go to like a Spanish immersion immersion. preschool or not even? um, So the daycare was like that Spanish immersion. But then once I was out of the daycare, all that was around was like a conversational Spanish class. Mm -hmm. And actually it was a huge gap from around three years old to eight years old. I had nothing. No Spanish. That's reassuring for parents to hear that. Exactly. Exactly. People ask all the time, like, "Ah, I I don't know if we're going to continue full on immersion after preschool Mm -hmm. when my kid goes to kindergarten. Is that bad? Like is it all for nothing? I'm like, I had five years of nothing from mm. three to three to eight. That's, that's very good. That is definitely reassuring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, bilingualism is that way, right? Like it, it is very dynamic. It changes. But from there, I studied a lot in high school. I studied it in college in my like Spanish linguistics classes and stuff like that. And I've traveled a lot. I've lived, lived abroad. So it's just been this long story of bilingualism, just right. always changing and yeah. So what led you to starting Bilinguitos? Was it because of your own journey or? Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. It came in a huge part um, from wanting that experience to be available to like other kids, other families in my area. Um, I had been living in Peru. This was in 2016. I'd been living in Peru. And when I came back to the DC area, I actually started applying to schools that taught Spanish immersion, but they were all the way in DC or right outside of DC. And I lived about 45 minutes outside the city. And I'm like, why is there nothing like this in our own area, in our own county? And our county also for public schools doesn't have any kind of language, not even classes once a week for the kids, um, much, much less an immersion program. So I had a couple of families that I'd been talking to that were raising bilingual kids and they're like, let's just start something. Like, why don't you start it? I'll send my kids. Like, I'll help. Mm-hmm. Sounds very, very right. similar. Yeah, I know. That's awesome. She was sharing her story and Instagram was like, oh my gosh, it's so similar. That's crazy. Yes, that's, that's awesome. That's funny. So yeah, so that's kind of how it came about. Just I saw the need. I wanted the opportunity for other kids. And I also wanted to kind of create something that, because at that point I didn't have kids, but I wanted to create something that would be what I would want Mm -hmm. as a parent raising Mm -hmm. a bilingual child. So that's how it came to be. And I know, I think we did talk about this in our DMs at one point. You're like, that's why I started bilingual family. I know. And it's crazy to think, you know, all those years. And now Mateo is about to start in August. And he's just, he's always like, bilingual family, bilingual family. (laughs) So I have to say in August, I kind of regret telling him he was going because he's, he thinks he's it's like excited. tomorrow. He's absolutely, <laughs> yeah, no he's idea. absolutely excited. Is he's it ready August to see yet? Is it August yet? <laughs> but um, yeah, that's that's awesome to see how many similarities there are. I'm excited for when Aniela goes to Bilinguitos too. 
because you'll, you know, it's just like a whole different experience. I'm excited. I'm a little nervous because originally I wanted somebody else to be Mateo's teacher, you know, because I've seen uh, teachers bringing their children and it's just not the same. But um, with COVID and everything, it just the way it's working, it looks like I'm going to be his teacher. So just got to start turning him working on that. <laughs> we'll see how that works. So I, I'd like to interject with a oh, question yeah. real quick. So you, you grew up, you had that, you had that gap of before you continued on with your language journey. Um, so where did your passion come from for wanting to learn Spanish as a second language? What, what burned that desire to say, I want to continue mm-hmm. this. I want to pursue this lifestyle. That's a great question. I don't think I've ever like deeply thought about it. Um, so maybe with more introspection, I'll have a different answer later on. But right off the top of my head, uh, my parents had us travel a lot as kids. Um, we were really fortunate in that way. We went to Spain, we went to Mexico, I went to Chile. Um, I can never say that word in English. Chile. We went to Chile. Um, <laughs> Chili's? I go to Chili's. John used to go to Chili's we all did, the time. We went to Chili's a lot as well. So I think travel had a big part in it. Um, and also I just love language. It's just, you know, how people have different passions and different giftings mm-hmm. and p- different interests. As a kid, I would make my own languages. I also studied Latin and Greek part mm-hmm. of, I was homeschooled. I don't know mm-hmm. if you guys know that I was homeschooled oh, second grade through graduation. Also reassuring. Yes. <laughs> Homeschool. So I had a lot of like say in my curriculum. Um, and so I was able to study those languages. And so my, my head was just very always in language. How does language work and this and that? So I think that, that was just part really cool. of it. Because my sister, what's interesting, my sister had this, not the immersion daycare experience, but she had the conversational classes all throughout elementary and middle. She took all four years of Spanish in high school. But she just never had that mm-hmm. drive. She didn't mm-hmm. really, she had other interests, right. really. So she doesn't speak it. Um, she speaks some, but she doesn't speak it like I do, which is just interesting to compare two sisters raised in the same environment for the most part right yeah different interests that's that's just really cool because i think some people definitely have a strength for learning a second language um like my mom started um learning english in colombia because she loved heavy metal (laughs) and she wanted to know like the lyrics to all the songs black Black sabbath metallica all that so uh it's just interesting and then even now she's she's bilingual and she's learning french just because because there's nobody who she's who she would speak French with, but well, but she enjoys the she language enjoys learning language process. Learning, yeah. So yeah, I was just curious because that's really cool because my passion didn't come until I, I've always had a desire for it, but I didn't really dive into it until we met because I and even deeper when and Mateo even deeper was when born, Mateo yeah. was born exactly, and even now I'm on the struggle bus of trying to keep, keep up. up. <laughs> but I wish my passion and desire. I wish I had a partner or the ability to continue learning outside of school. Cause that was the only place we'd learn mm-hmm. here. Right. So. Yeah. Um, okay. So you always like on, on Instagram, this is where we found each other. So <laughs> on Instagram, you, you have this whole section on the different strategies, the different bilingual parenting strategies. And I think for parents, it's helpful to know, you know, first of all, where they fit or what's, possible for their specific family that doesn't mean you have to follow it a hundred percent but at least it serves as a guide of okay this is what we're deciding for our family and let's go from there so uh, 
we would like you to talk about each of those different strategies and maybe um, tips on how parents can implement them or what they can do if, if that fits their life. Mm-hmm. Sure. So I was thinking I could break it down. Um, I'll just kind of briefly describe the strategy. So there's five. So there's ways you can slice them up differently, but this is the way I do it. And it's usually the way that the, most of the literature does as well. So um, the first big one is one parent, one language, OPOL, which is, I think, most of the time the one that most people have heard of, at mm-hmm. least if they've started to look around um, into bilingual parenting. And so what is it? Like the, the name says, one parent speaks one language, and then the other parent speaks another language. And a lot of times it's one parent speaking the majority, the more common language in the area, and then the other parent speaking the minority language, mm-hmm. the harder to find, harder to come across language. Um, as an example, I have a family in France where one parent speaks French and the other parent speaks Russian. Mm-hmm. So one parent, one language. <laughs> yeah. So I think with this one, here are some of the, the biggest benefits. Um, for a lot of families, this is just the most natural and available choice for them. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times because a parent, each parent gets to speak their native language or their most comfortable language, uh, and that's just kind of the way it falls. Um, each parent gets to, like I said, yeah, be fully comfortable in the language that they're using with their child. Um, and then the other benefit for this is that kids are hearing both languages right off the bat. So they're mm-hmm. what we call a simultaneous bilingual, um, which doesn't, that's not actually better or worse than a sequential bilingual, which is the opposite, simultaneous, sequential. But it is a lot of times like reassuring for a parent to think, oh, my child has heard both languages since mm-hmm. birth. So mm-hmm. that is kind of the major benefits. So then moving on, we have the MLAH strategy, which is the minority language at home strategy. Um, and this is where the entire family uses the minority language at home and just with each other, even if they're outside of the home. So for example, our home language is Spanish would be minority language at home. So everyone speaks Spanish, mom, dad, or whatever your parental setup is, and the kids, and that's just the expected home language. Mm-hmm. This is our family. We speak this language. Um, some benefits to MLAH is, once again, it's a very natural choice for some families, especially when mom and dad have the same native language and it's a minority language. That's so not the majority language. Um, another benefit is that there's an abundance of input because they're hearing it from both parents, um, not just one parent. You know, so both parents, abundance of input, and they're also seeing peer-to-peer language modeling. So they're seeing mom and dad talk to each other in the minority language, mm-hmm. which is huge because otherwise sometimes they're not getting that peer-to-peer modeling. And there's ways to, to work with that if they're not. So again, that's something to dive deeper into, but that is a benefit of this strategy. Um, and it just also a lot of times helps foster that heritage connection to the mm-hmm. language. Um, because everyone in the entire family is doing it, and it's just kind of like, this is our family identity. Mm-hmm. So that's MLAH. Um, any questions, or should I jump into? No, I, no I'm I, kind of reserving my questions, questions to the end. To the okay. End. <laughs> but, yeah. I didn't want to just be like, poo, fire hose information. Yeah, because I, I mean, I can definitely, like, I feel myself, like, interjecting in each. All I thing. know is the guy that isn't a professional in this area. I'm going to be a professional after all these interviews that we go through. <laughs> there you go. Yes. I'm just like on the sidelines, just nodding my head. Yes. And in my brain, it's like, I don't understand. Oh, now I get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, um, for one parent, one language, I'll just do a quick, we can put this back in there 
for one parent, one language, that's kind of what we had planned originally. In, in my mind, I was like, okay, we're going to do, I'm only going to speak Spanish. John's only going to speak English. And I even was like thinking of birthday parties and events where everybody would get together from both of our families. And I was like, I'm only going to speak in Spanish and John can translate for me. Or if they don't understand me, that's too bad. <laughs> and I mean, it took like what the first week where I was like, this is not, this is not going to happen. Like it's first off, first of all, it's disrespectful to the English speakers because they know that I speak English. And secondly, like, you know, what I want to teach Mateo is that we can adapt to other people's languages, you know, not only languages, but I think that that translates to other skills, you know, of empathy, like mm -hmm. seeing where the person is and meeting them where they are. And so I quickly was like, okay, this is not going to work. And what I, the way I worked around that was I just used the language Uh, of that of that person so when I talk to Mateo when I I'm speaking to Mateo I only speak in Spanish because that's kind of our relation our relationship our language but then if Gigi John's mom is here then I'll say and I'll turn to Gigi and I'm very <laughs> very um, meticulous very, about yeah very conscious about like turning to her and say hey Gigi did Mateo show you the new puzzle he got for example And then I'll turn to Mateo and say, Mateo, muestrale a Gigi el, el rompecabezas nuevo. And the he, back and forth. And, and it's crazy because because we did that, he will do that. He will be sitting at the dinner table and he'll translate for each other. And he'll say, like when we're speaking in English, he'll say, uh -huh. papá, papá está hablando de la cama. Like he'll say what we're talking about. <laughs> so, so we just can't so speak. Don't, just in case you don't know. Yeah. 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 And, and he's really good. And like she was saying, how it creates empathy. So we do have people that in our family that don't know a lick of Spanish. Mm -hmm. And when we're talking to Mateo or talking to each other, and there's even a hint of confusion on their face, Mateo turns to them and he'll let them know. Like he wants you to understand what we're Aww. talking about. And especially if it's concerning to them. So, I mean, it, yeah. Mateo at such a young age is already understanding, you know, we got to commute. Communication is important yeah. and that there are other people that aren't on our communication level because of a different language. And he wants to make sure they're included. So he's in this inclusive mm -hmm. ideology of being getting right. everyone a part of it. And all that to say that I'm glad and also for parents listening, these strategies, yes, take them into you know listen to them understand them but be flexible because and I, i think it'll change over time like as john's mm -hmm. uh spanish improves and when mateo goes to school full-time we're probably going to move more towards a major minority language at home to keep up with the english that he's gonna have so just you know those strategies listen to them and know that they will change, you know, or that you be flexible because something beautiful can come out of changing your mind, <laughs> you know? So. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Cause, because everybody's bilingualism shifts over time. So, so does your family language plan. It's going to, it's got to meld into whatever the situation is and it'll grow with your family. And then especially just lifestyle dynamics that change as things come COVID. Yeah, things exactly. Like that. <laughs> Right. Exactly. Exactly. So like you said, that's perfect. Be flexible and you have to make, take one of these strategies and then make it work for your family. It's not going to look the same for every family. So this is kind of like exactly like a, a template and then go from there. 
All right. So let's then talk about the time and place strategy. And these are going kind of from most common, at least the, the OPOL and MLIH are the ones that most people know. And then these last three are going to be a little less commonly talked about. Um, but this one's probably decently talked about. It's called the time and place. Sometimes people call it the context method. And this is where a family carves out space for their target language by choosing a specific time, specific place, or a specific activity to use the target language in. So this could look like, um, let's say time would be every night at dinner, we're going to speak Italian, our heritage language, as a family. So that's the time. Um, it could look like place. So every time we go visit the grandparents, we're going to do our best to use Korean, as much Korean as possible. That would be place. I know you have <laughs> Korean in your guys's language context too. Um, and then for time and place, sometimes it's a combination, which just looks more like an activity. Um, so the example I have is every Friday night, we're going to do family game night and use Swahili to keep our family language alive. So it can look different. It depends on what families want. Time, every, everything at this time, a specific place, or a specific activity. Um, and like I said, yeah, it looks different for every family. So some benefits for this strategy are often this is helpful for families with older kids who kind of want to introduce the family language or a minority language, target language, later in the game. Mm -hmm. They didn't do it when the kids were young. Mm -hmm. And so obviously with older kids, it's just, it's a lot more, it's a lot different, let's say, because older kids have their first language so established, any kind of change in pace will be like, whoa, what are you doing, mom? Like, I'm 10 years old. I have my language. Like, I know what I, right? So this kind of strategy is good to start introducing that target language in a fun way, little by little, um, it's also helpful for families that are learning all together. Maybe the parents don't speak oh, the language yeah. fluently themselves. So it's like, this is our family language activity or language learning activity. Um, and so that's another benefit for this one. And then also what's really nice about this strategy is that it links the language to something fun and meaningful, like family, mm -hmm. food, games. Right. Um, right. So it has that kind of like that vibe. Oh, I, I really like Italian because it's always connected to our Italian dinners. As <laughs> right. So, yeah. As you're explaining that one, it makes me think that that's exactly how I learned English. My mom picked Saturdays as our English day. Mm -hmm. And so the entire day was in English. And but without knowing it, she knew all of the uh, second language acquisition theory. She didn't know <laughs> it, but she was just using like real and meaningful interactions. And it, it was fun for me because, you know, I'm an only child. So she was kind of like my playmate, <laughs> my sister, my playmate. So it was, you know, it was just fun. Um, so that's that's a great strategy. I, I think especially for some of like our monolingual parents at Bilingual Family, that's something that we recommend, like pick a routine and just use Spanish during that routine. That's been helping right. you, too. No, and I, and I definitely agree with the time and place for parents that are trying to learn with their children, especially if you're in a one parent, one language setting like us, um, I'm one, I want to learn Spanish. I want to get better at Spanish. And that time and place is also a very helpful, even though my time and place is as often as possible. Um, <laughs> but having specific activities like our, like Zingo, like our Spanish games like that, or, uh, when we read books, like that's a time and place for me and Mateo is when we pick up a Spanish book and I have to read it all in Spanish, which, you know, I'm a big, I'm a big proponent of, if you want to learn a language, read, it's helping me tremendously. So yeah. I definitely agree with time and place. Yeah. It's definitely a really cool strategy that has a lot of, like it has 
a very specific use and it works really well for that specific mm-hmm. use. Um, then we have the mixed language family strategy, which a lot of times people are like, eh, I don't like that. I don't want to mix languages, but you have to think about it from the perspective of all around the world. There's lots of highly bilingual communities. The communities themselves are bilingual. And so for families living in those communities, this kind of strategy just works. So it depends on where you are. It depends on if this is going to work or not. For some families, it wouldn't work very well, but some, for some families, it works really, really well. So what is it? It's when all family members are bilingual and so they choose to use their languages however they most naturally flow. So the whole idea of who speaks what language isn't strictly delineated. It's not It's not like, okay, you speak this and I speak this and it's however it kind of comes organically in a conversation. And so I have the example of Spanish-English bilingual families who live in Miami or even French-English bilingual families living in Quebec. Um, so in those communities, we know that there, there's a lot of bilingualism going on already. And so that just kind of extends to the family um, dynamic. And so in that, in that case, it's very natural. So a lot of times this works. But then on the other side, a lot of times it doesn't give enough um, emphasis to the minority language. Mm-hmm. And so maybe for families who are like, oh, this is the strategy we use, but my child's not really really holding on to the minority language, well, then at that point, you probably want to take a step back and see, okay, how can we focus, focus, focus as much on the minority language as possible? Um, but I kind of already mentioned, so some of the benefits are just that it's that natural, organic way of your languages interacting. Um, and it puts a lot of emphasis on communication rather than linguistic purism. And so kids can kind of feel just, okay, I can say whatever I want in whatever language and I'll be heard and understood. So that's a big benefit to that focus one. Focus on but again, communication one- rather than like perfection. Yeah. yeah. Um, so as you're saying, are you, as you're describing the, is it multi-language strategy? I call it mixed language mixed family. Language, yeah. Mixed language strategy. I kind of feel like maybe that's what we have. <laughs> because well, we do when we have big family gatherings. Yes, because I, now I, I only speak to Mateo in Spanish, except when he brings me a book that's in English and I'll read it in English. He has started asking us to translate. translate. Like if the book is in Spanish, he'll say, oh, Ingle, he Ingle. it's so hard. Oh, it's yeah, he so does, hard. He does really? have a little costeño going on, doesn't he? Costeño. Costeño. Se come las heces. Se come las papá es un costeño perfecto. A little over the top. Yeah. So... Yeah, maybe we are. Would that be considered? Would you like based on? I think at the heart, and I was just talking about, I don't know if you follow what's her Billy Kids, Rebecca from Billy Kids. Mm -hmm. She and I were just talking about this, how I think at the core, at some point, like here and there, most families do kind of drift to this strategy. Yeah, even if it's just occasionally. It's just the natural outcome of being bilingual. When you are bilingual, you have two languages, or let's say when you're multilingual, you have multiple languages in your brain. And as a bilingual person, you want to access all of your languages. They're all in your, what we call linguistic repertoire, mm-hmm. right? They're all there as a bilingual person. <laughs> so fancy, I know. They're all there for you to access. And so when you're talking to a monolingual speaker as a bilingual, you have to suppress one or multiple languages to only use the one that your conversation partner speaks. Right. right. So when you're with other bilinguals, your brain kind of wants to just like take a load off. Yeah. Like I can use whatever I want uh-huh. because you understand both. Right. So 
it is easy to kind of drift into this. And I say the same thing with our family. Like we try to stick to MLAH. My daughter's only 15 months. She's not really talking that much. Um, but I know that here and there, um, mixed language family method will pop up. So mm-hmm. absolutely. Any, any thoughts on that one? And I have, I have one more. So we yeah, can... I just kind of feel like we might be there. Just I, I feel like we, everything that you've kind of mentioned so far, I feel like we naturally just dabble in and out of each one. Uh, de- like, and, and I guess that would be like time and place, kind of like what you're talking about. The, the time and place is with all these different strategies. Because mm-hmm. obviously when we have a family gathering and my mom, you, and your mom are talking, you'll sit there and talk in English. And then the minute my mom leaves to go get food or get a drink or play with the kids, all of a sudden you two switch right think- back. I think if I could uh, make one up, (laughs) (laughs) it would be like the relationship based because it's based on the relationship, whatever relationship we have at that moment with that person. person. And that's why I like the idea of the mixed language family method. Like I know that if people kind of just default to it without a lot of intentionality, a lot of what, what happens is, or a lot of times what happens is the minority language gets to left to the side, but at its core, I love the idea of mixed language families because like, it's all all about being natural and organic with your language choices. So exactly. It focuses on who's my language, um, who's my conversation partner right now? Who am I talking to? What language do they speak? What do they prefer? Do I, can I use that language? Okay. Then I'm going to use that language. And that's actually how my husband and I started our entire, like just friendship when we got, when we met, it was in Spanish, because that was definitely his preferred language, definitely his dominant language. And for me, I could go between either one. And so if I can use his dominant language to make him feel more comfortable, then I will. And so from day one, we only spoke to each other in Spanish. And that's why we still do to this day, because like you said, language is so relational. See, that's that's the catfishing that I'm talking about. That's how you got me too. You're like, I'm going to speak to him in English. (laughs) messed up. I, I'm starting. I'm starting to understand this strategy now. <laughs> uh, okay, let me just go over this last one. This one is um, a little different. So this is called the outside resources family, and this one isn't often cited when people talk about bilingual parenting strategies or methods. But I consider it very much a method that people can choose, and I think you'll probably agree um, because of the families that you work with with your school. So this is when neither parent speaks the target language, but they want to raise their children bilingual, bilingually. So they rely exclusively on the use of outside resources to provide input in the target language for their children. So this could be something like schooling, immersion schools. Um, it could be childcare. It could be library programs. And most of the time, it's a, it's a melding of all of this. It could be travel, subscription boxes, right? We know a lot of those, um, online classes, so it's just tapping into whatever you can find outside because there aren't you don't have language resources in the target language within the family. Mm, so you that go makes out. sense. Would that be how you basically how you learn Spanish, right? Exactly. So you're, you neither your parents speak Spanish. Neither of them speak it fluently. My mom she knows a, she knows a lot of vocabulary and stuff, but not enough that she was providing the input. She just had that drive. So yeah, this is exactly how I was raised to be bilingual, and that's why I I know I can vouch for it as a strategy. And what's nice, so the benefit of this one, one of the big ones, is it makes bilingualism possible for any family, mm-hmm. not just those with a heritage tie or a cultural tie or a family that moves to a new, you know, country. Let's say it makes it accessible for everyone, and it's also 
it often makes the target language associated with something really fun, like their friends at immersion school or the fun summer camp they went to at the library. Right. Um, and I think especially with COVID, I mean, it's been mostly negative, but I think there's a lot of good that comes out of it. And that is how easily you can access people from around the world, you know, um, like your classes, people take cl- classes from all over, you know, and so now I guess we as a, as a society have kind of explored that, you know, online teaching a little bit more than before. And, and we have access to even more people, you know, Absolutely. or even like even YouTube videos, I always recommend uh, to parents, you know, as a resource, as an outside resource, or as adults, when they ask me, like, how, how could I implement this, you know, kind of the way that you teach in the classroom, which is based on your interest and fun and all that as an adult, because most adult classes are not like that. <laughs> and very so, much, here's a chart, memorize. Yeah, exactly. So I'm like, no, if you enjoy knitting, go look up a YouTube video about knitting in that target language. Obviously, if it's, it depends on the video, because some videos will be way too fast, you know, and their goal is not to teach you the language. <laughs> their goal is to teach you how to knit, <laughs> right? But over time, as you watch it, you start to pick up on those things. It's just, again, this is using my example from reading, you know, El Tractor is the Agriculture. Which one was it? Tractores Agricolas. Yes, Agricolas. <laughs> um, I read this book probably 1,500 times before I started making associations. I was like, Faros, that makes sense. Or Habichuelas, um, that makes sense. I never, these words I never used in my regular day life, and I have no interest in tractors, but Mateo does. Well, and now I could go to a farm and drive a tractor. John John can be like the, the salesperson for reading. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he loves, it like, works. <laughs> he's seeing it firsthand. I'm experiencing and, and it. And I am seeing it too because for one, neither one of us grew up being readers. Like we didn't really read. We didn't really read as I read. Yeah, but, but I read fantasy. We were not readers, you know? And so we were determined to race a reader. And even in, in bilingual family, like I always thought about it, it's more about the activity and doing things that are interesting to them. And Dr. Krashen, who I love, has kind of shifted into reading you know pleasure reading and reading and I was like yeah sure that makes sense but now that I actually see it in action I'm like yes reading is important too <laughs> my so, husband is a success this is awesome yeah, <laughs> yeah so that so the true. resources can be so many things you know yeah and, exactly and I like that you're saying it really does make it accessible to anyone especially with the internet even if you can't afford you know a private school or a, you know, Spanish speaking nanny or anything like that, you have the internet and you can find videos. You, you have the library, you can get books. It's just, so yeah. I want to hit a major point. So I'm going to basically going to ask you to re to go back over how you became bilingual. But I, I, I think there needs to be an emphasis on this because you, like she was saying, the reading me being the example, I think you're really good example of what happens when you put your child in a full immersion Spanish program or any language program with parents that don't speak that target language. And I, re- I really want to emphasize, you know, you said your parents don't speak Spanish, not fluently. Right. And they put you in the program and you 
started, and then you had that gap between you said it was ages three to eight, and and from there you continued your journey even further. You've had an interest in it, and now I fluently, <laughs> and you're going to be passing all this information on to your children. But I I just really think that it I just really wanted to recap that and you're an example that came out of that what I would think most of the people we mm-hmm. work with is a resource outside resource. This this is I I, I don't want to say product because it sounds weird. But this is this you're is You're an example. You're an example of <laughs> what can come of pushing proof, exactly. Yeah, living proof. There we go. I I I speak good, I promise. Um <laughs> but it's just it seeing that is just really cool. Cause as a parent, if I were to do that, I would feel even more comfortable with, I want to take this path. Right. More reassured. Exactly. And that's what I say. Yep. Living proof. It works. Um, it works. Even if there's a gap, it works. Even if you're not eight years old through graduating high school, I was not in immersion. It was conversational classes, but the immersion as a really young child was, um, crucial. We traveled, um, But my mom, so talking about the free resource aspect, absolutely. Like there's a term called elite bilingualism, which is a really interesting fact, um, whatever, interesting thing to look into. Um, But it doesn't have to be hard to access. Bilingualism, like you said, there's the internet, there's the library, there is making friends at a park and setting up a play date. So my mom did that with um, a lot of the library resources. She had us watch, I don't know if you've ever heard of Muzzy, yeah. Muzzy yeah. is... I used to watch it in my, watch French, in my classes. French classes. Yes. I, don't, I have no idea what Muzzy's up to these days. He's really... It's very strange, but it worked. I like. I remember tons of things I learned from Muzzy, which is just a video program of Spanish and other languages. Library, um, play dates, so many ways to access it. And so we were... My mom was seeking out those other resources too. It wasn't just the um, classes that, and then that's it. There was lots of different... Fuentes, what's the word? There was lots of different resources coming in from different different angles. So it was, yeah, it was like a, a melding of all these different ways. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I really like that one because, like you said, it's just it's something any anybody can do. Um, so with all that, what are your top tips for raising bilingual children? Awesome. So I wrote out these ones when I knew we were going to talk about this, just so that I would hit the main points. So I know that parents can feel overwhelmed a lot of times, especially when starting out. I actually have so many um, expecting moms contact me. So they're thinking of it way in advance. You know, baby's still in the womb and they're like, we want to set the plan now. Like, what do we do? So I know that there's all this information. People might feel a little bit overwhelmed. Like, I don't know exactly how to go about it. What do I do? So I just really want to stress that each family is different, right? For in all different ways. And so there, there are so much differences in the families. It would make sense that your strategies are going to look different as well. So it's not going to look different for everybody. So with all being, with all of that being said, here are the top tips that I have. The first one is as a family, like talk to your partner. If the kids are older, get them involved as well. As a family, decide what your bilingualism goals are and then set up a plan that will be attainable and sustainable. You don't want to like set these things that are going to be so lofty and then just get frustrated. Choose what's attainable and sustainable. And sustainable doesn't mean you can't adapt as you go, but just something that you can kind of commit to that won't feel too overwhelming, attainable and sustainable. The next would be input, 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 input. 
um, just maximizing language input, especially focusing on exposure in the minority language, because we know that the majority language will happen on its own. So then the last one would be commit to the long run. Longevity, longevity is key. Bilingualism doesn't happen overnight, which we have all seen, right? That's not how it works. John, right? Is that how it works? No, 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 no. I mean, I believe we did an episode on <laughs> marathon versus a uh, sprint. So absolutely, exactly. you got to be, you got to be prepared for that long journey. Right. And I say that just because having heard your journey through your guys' podcasts and hearing you talk about it as an adult, learning it, it's like, it's hard work. So bilingualism isn't an overnight thing. In fact, it's something that happens over the course of an entire lifetime. Because you and I, Daniela, we're still learning. Yeah, I'm still I'm not bilingual. first and second languages. In, in child development, if we talk about child development, I am not bilingual. <laughs> if we talk about certain things, you know, right. it's Domains. just not. The language exactly. that I learned it in. <laughs> exactly. So we're always growing. We're always changing. So bilingualism is not an overnight thing. It's an over the course of your lifetime thing. And as a family, your bilingualism will also grow and shift and change with time and with season changes. So those are my tips. Attainable and sustainable when you set up your plan. Maximize input, focusing on the minority language. And then commit to the long run. Even if you have to adapt as you go, just commit to this is something you want for your family and for your kids. Those are great. Thank you so, so much for everything. I think we both have learned so much. Oh, absolutely. And we're trying to understand like what our actual strategy is. Well, what, what, (laughs) What I like is that you guys have a very similar approach to what, you know, how you're, I guess, uh, sharing bilingualism with community and family within your areas. And you guys have a lot of similar strategies. I mean, hell, the way you guys are presenting yourselves and the way you started your business is very similar. And what's really cool is when we communicate like this across state lines, you know, we're, the learning, the perspective differences, you know, all it's going to do is make us better at being able to communicate, not just with language, but with the people we're trying to help push forward in the language journey. Yeah. Um, and, and we're real big on community. So I think that's, that's awesome to have two very strong, you know, bilingual, teachers or educators and what we're doing to share these ideas. And for me, it's one of those things, you know, you hear it from your wife, you're just like, well, but you hear yeah. it from somebody else. You're just like, Oh, and then she'd be like, that's, that's really, what I that's said. That's really what we did serial dates. So I could be like, let's get a parent and let's get a, uh, you know, disciplined person. Let's get a, you know, different people to come on and tell John what to do. And, and since she's do. doing all the selections, she's <laughs> selecting all the people to gang up on me. I know, I know what you're doing. Man, you caught me. <laughs> well, thank you, Love Kayla, it. so much. Um, tell us a little bit about where people can connect with you and maybe where they can find more information about the programs that Bilinguitos offers. Absolutely. Yes. Um, the biggest place you can find me or the place I'm the most active on is Instagram. And so my handle is at Bilinguitos. Um, I could spell it, but it's going to be way well, long. We'll, we'll put that we'll on link it, link it somewhere. Bilinguitos. And then you can also find me on my webpage, which is bilinguitos.com. And on Facebook, we have a group called the Bilingual Parenting Podcast, which just kind of is a sister resource for my podcast. Which is awesome, by the way. You guys should check it out. Bilingual Parenting Podcast, if you want to go deep into just the parent, like bilingual parenting, bilingualism side of things. But yes. Yeah, we will link all those in the show notes. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. This was so much fun. Thank you. Absolutely. It was fun. (laughs) So I always sign off with one of my biggest, uh, 
my biggest making sure we got everything covered. So any comments, questions, concerns, or general consensus about the world or universe around us? <laughs> I thought I was going to get a dad joke. Don't you Don't you do like jokes every now and then? Oh, you're going to put me on the spot. Okay. I have a bilingual one if. If you guys dad want to joke, one. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta be cautious because I'm starting to find dad jokes. I'm like, oh, I'm kind of pushing the edge on that one. But, <laughs> edgy, um, edgy dad jokes. Have I done the koala bear? No. Why is the koala bear not considered a bear? I don't know why. It doesn't meet it doesn't the qualifications. Meet <laughs> <laughs> yes, she laughs. I'm glad she laughs at my jokes. But let's hear yours. Yeah, I want to hear absolutely. a bilingual one. Okay, so, John, how do you say jaguar in Spanish? Do you know this one? This yeah, is the joke. This is, this is one of the first ones one she, she pulled on me, is jaguar. Jaguar. So do you know this joke? I yeah. do. <laughs> Yay. Okay, well, I'm going to share it anyways because, you know, no, followers might not. So what did, or, ¿qué le dice un jaguar al otro? What does one jaguar say to the other one? No sé. Dice, hola, jaguar you. Da, <laughs> That's my go-to. That's my go-to joke. Yes, absolutely. And I think I like that one because it is a it is a very, I guess, relatable uh, bilingual joke because you could teach somebody the word yes, exactly. on the spot and then you right. flow through. Thank you for being with us. For more on raising bilingual children, you can purchase my book, Become a Bilingual Family, The Best Method for Raising Bilingual Children, Even If You Only Speak One Language, on Amazon. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Bilingual Family. If you like this episode, share it with your friends. And as always, the best compliment is a review. Con amor, John and Daniela.